and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith, and thank you for listening. David is not here. He is out of town at the moment, uh, but we are going to do something uh, kind of special today. But first, I wanted to let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available is, okay, I want to make sure I've got this right, and there's some pronunciation here as well. Uh, Brooks, Meadows, and Lovely Faces, directed by Yusri Nasrallah. I don't know if that's how you say it. It's Egyptian. He's Egyptian, so I'm not, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, and it is a film showing, uh, so it's showing exclusively on Mubi. Uh, and so it is, uh, let me see the description here. Romantic business and sexual relationships swirl around a music and food filled wedding, leading to plenty of drama, comedy, and even some slight political insight. So I have, I, I have not heard of this film. I wish that I had, I apologize. Um, but it is showing exclusively on Mubi. So if that interests you, check it out. Also available is the seminal David Lynch film, Mulholland Drive, which I considered to be okay. So listeners know that I was not a big fan of it when I first saw it because I was 19 and I had very little patience for surrealism. Um, but now I consider it to be filmmaking in its purest form. Um, it is filled with swirling, surreal storylines, haunting visuals, and a brooding yet playful tone. Mulholland Drive is the film that every film fan should see. And there is also a an offer, a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. All right. So what are we doing here? Uh, so listeners, this was several months ago that we had uh, uh, Dave Platt on the show um, as part of what uh, what I dubbed the uh, BP Masterclass uh, series that is sort of an unofficial series that just will uh, basically happen anytime David's not here. And essentially what I do is I invite people on, fellow students, instructors, people that I've met in my, uh, in my quest, let's say journey, in my journey to get my master's, people that I've met at UCLA who I think have an interesting perspective on things. And so uh, that is what today is going to be. I've, uh, I've invited uh, a former instructor, which is very strange because we're the same age, um, but he's taller than I am. So... I'm taller than everybody. <laughs> that is true, yes. Um, but uh, his name is Ben Sampson, and he's here to talk about, well, whatever, really. It's, ben, nothing, it's uh, nothing personal. He's 6'8". It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't need to be that tall. Right. And it's it's just silly. Perhaps you should have, uh, let's see, uh, did you ever watch Fishing with John? Do you know what that is? No. Okay. So John Lurie, the, uh, the uh, musician and occasional actor, uh, he was with the Lounge Lizards. It was a jazz band in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Um, he made, he acquired money from this company in Japan to make a fishing show with his celebrity friends. So, and he called it Fishing with John. There's six episodes. And the episode, the first one is with Jim Jarmusch. He was in, John Lurie was in Stranger uh, Than Fiction. Oh. Sorry, Stranger Than, wait, not Stranger Than Fiction, Stranger Than Paradise. Stranger there we than go. Paradise. Uh, and uh, Down by Law. 
So he was in those. Those early Jarmusch films from the yes. 80s. Yeah. And then he, so he's with Jim Jarmusch. He's with Tom Waits. He goes with, goes out with Willem Dafoe and Matt Dillon As and one Dennis does. Hopper. Yes. And it is absolutely delightful. Um, and uh, there's a bit of conversation, and it's hilarious. Uh, and there's a bit of conversation where um, John Lurie is talking with, I think, Willem Dafoe and is reflecting on how tall, how unnecessarily tall he is. And he says, do you think I should have sections of my shins removed? Uh, and I was young enough when I first saw that, I was like, that's that can't happen right like that's not you can't do that and still walk around right uh i'm pretty sure no you cannot but uh, i'm pretty sure no you cannot although i remember in gattaca one of my favorite movies sure. them adding height to somebody and i'm that's still right. not completely sure how they do that it's kind of ambiguously <laughs> yeah put out there it's it's gattaca it's it's, it's acceptable it's, there people say you know oh it's so cool to be tall uh, six you know everyone wants like to be tall so they want to be yeah. like six one to six four there six, you go six eight you're just silly I, yeah. I catch myself in the mirror it's like really that's just <laughs> you silly. look in the mirror you see uh, your chin and uh, nothing above that so. uh, but yes Tyler was a, uh, a former student uh, <laughs> right. of, of mine uh, the summer before you started your MA program I right believe. yes um, or I guess you started it then uh, it pretty much yeah. yeah I wanted to kind of I hadn't been in school for a while so yeah. I wanted to dip my toe in and you were teaching a Hitchcock class and I thought that was my All first right. time teaching it too your first time teaching that class. That class. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so it's been uh, a fun experience. I'm not done with it yet. I'm taking an extended break, uh, and I won't be going back to school until January because uh, my wife and I are going to be uh, taking a three-week trip to Asia uh, in the fall that was planned before I was even accepted to UCLA. So I guess we're we're locked in. But um, but, but that's yeah, amazing. Yes, it's very exciting. I, I think breaks are actually, if you can come back, some people take breaks from graduate school and never right. come back. But if you can actually just clear the head, it's actually uh, helpful for getting through the whole thing. The fact that I am one quarter away yeah, uh, is a thing it. I have to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially because in some ways I thought it was going to be, it, it's it's been easier than I thought. In other ways, it's been more difficult. Where but, in Asia? Uh, let's see, Japan, China. South Korea and Hong Kong. That's fantastic. So, You're going to yeah. love it. I don't know if I will. It I remains to be seen. I have food issues. Uh, mm. I don't care for any of that food. This is... Oh, God. <laughs> so... <laughs> so that... I might but lose some weight. That's argument. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, but Jen and I are going with some friends of ours from uh, Chicago, and we have had multiple meetings the four of us talking about like because these all four of us can get tiresome on our own together we might be you know together with the we're we're the insufferables uh we're a, a ragtag group of uh, terrible people but um but yeah and so we talked about like you'll get to know each other <laughs> boy that's yeah because jen and i have only really traveled with each other and uh -huh. we traveled together pretty well yeah but we've never been at, gone for more than two weeks hopefully you'll all be friends and all be married by the end i mean hopefully I know. all of those things will stay intact perhaps to each other who's so to who say knows? i don't know how they do it over who there knows? um but yeah and uh but we did have a meeting where i i sat us down and said, okay, let's do this. Rather than be accusatory towards each other about what we're most concerned about, let's maybe show a little bit of self-awareness. Let's each of us say what we worry about other people will find frustrating. And I'll go first, the food thing. Yeah. I'm not, we all know I don't like, I like really bland 
food. I like chicken strips. That's what I like. But they have that there. Exactly. They have so, that there. I've been um, to China. They have KFC and yes, you know McDonald's. They have the they have and off brand generic stuff. They have the whole. You won't have to eat Chinese food. The you whole said time. generic. I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was uh, it was. It was a good conversation because one thing that I tried to say, and this is something I've said to my friends before, is like, if you guys want to go to a, 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 a high-end sushi restaurant, I'll go with you. I'm just not going to eat. And I don't want anyone to look at me weird because I'm not eating. And I don't want you to think that you're putting me through anything. This is my issue, not yours. And I don't want to stop you from... Although you should try out anything that's technically sure. quote unquote high end. Sure. Yes, I, mean, I agree. You should try out the best of just about anything. I would say that's true. If you're in that position, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Um, so, okay. But enough yeah. about my, oh, my trip, which I'm kind of dreading because it's so far out of my comfort zone. Um, but uh, let's get to know you. Where are you from originally? I'm from uh, central California. I'm, I'm from California. Uh, I've lived in LA the past how many years now? About nine years. But I'm from Central California, farmland California. Okay. Whereabouts specifically? Uh, a little farm about four miles north of a little town called Delano. Okay. Delano, California, where Cesar Chavez started the migrant labor movement. Okay. Um, really right in between Bakersfield and Fresno on the 99 Highway. Got For it. all of you Central Cal listeners, uh, you'll know where. Taft over here. Oh, I yeah. Think, yeah, I think we talked <laughs> yeah. about that. Um, um, so. I'm 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 from the the uh, the red state within the blue state. Boy, yeah, uh, uh, the Bible Belt within hippie liberal land, yeah. California, and then. Um, uh, but I've lived all over, and uh, I've lived overseas a little bit, um, and uh, lived in Ventura for a while. But yeah, L.A. for school, and mm-hmm. I was a convert. You know, if you're raised yeah. in in California but not in Los Angeles, you're predisposed to absolutely hate Los Angeles. Sure. Yeah. I lived in Paris for a year and I had more family visit me in Paris than they would in Los Angeles. I have to assume there's an element of there. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. It's an opportunity. Oh, of course I'm, not. No, no. There, it definitely is. Yeah. You got someone, you have to go. But I think my brothers and my mom, they never did overnight trips to LA until after that, actually. So, hmm. uh, yeah. Um, but I, I grew to love Los Angeles, mostly the movie culture here, obviously. Like, there's there's just always something amazing happening in yeah. terms of movies. Um, to the point that it provides tremendous insecurity, because I feel like at any given moment, I'm oh, missing something. I'm, I'm missing five things every week. Yeah. I, I mark them down on my calendar on the off chance I'll have time to do it. But yeah. I'm almost always too busy. But I, I catch some stuff. Yeah, it's... I'll be seeing the Jackie Brown Out of Sight double feature at the New Bev on September 4th. Which you should too, if you. I should. I I love both of those films. Available. Okay. (laughs) Let me ask you this: aside from the selection of movies they show, I don't love the new Bev. Uh, what particularly do you because there's a lot of things to like or not like about it depending on the person you talk to I think I just don't like the venue I feel like the screen is actually kind of small it is and I the, sit really close okay I, you have to yeah and you Front know row. it's it's not oh okay well I don't I do sit that. that close um but they showed Ravenous there which is a film I love um when uh, Anthony a bird uh, passed away and so yeah and I found myself having to sit near the front and even then I just thought like this feels like it should be more impressive um, like if I go to you know the new art or something like that that's it's, that's a bit more like it well it, uh, I think a lot of its identity comes from not 
just Tarantino because he, you know, has only you know owned and run the thing in the recent years, truthfully. But it, but what, why he invested in it and it and bought it was because it has that feel of cinema that he really likes, which is that grindhouse. Yes, cinema. like when they put in the new seats in like I don't know, like five or six years ago. Whenever they put in the new seats, and those seats were used seats, from, of course, from from some theater in the nineties. Like yeah. that's the revamp they do. You have to kind of be in the mood to to sit in a theater that's not very attractive that used to be yeah. you know that just has the feel of yeah this this was a porn theater once wasn't it sure uh, seems like it, yes. it sure feels like that <laughs> yeah but with you know but the programming that they do there is incredibly adventurous there's a yeah. lot of divisiveness in the LA film going community over Tarantino taking over yeah. uh, and uh, the new Bev and whether it was a hostile takeover or not. But I have to say, I love the programming that goes yeah. on there. I love the double features. I love that they're showing stuff that you can't see. I also love, because I'm not, you know, I'm not the purest of the purest when it comes to film. There's yeah, a lot I'm of good digital filmmaking out there. I do appreciate the craft of film in filmmaking. I appreciate that, you know, the, I, I just like the fact that, the, that there is at least a theater in L.A. that's like, no, only film, only right. this. This is our identity. And, you know, I see lots of digitally projected stuff other places. But it's yeah. nice to have that as an option. It's less uh, ironically middle finger than the Cine family, also a place I like. Sure. But I just, the crowd there... Can get on your nerves in terms of the irony is a little bit too thick for me. That's a thing about. There's a little bit more purity of love at the center of, at Nubev for me. Uh, I would say that is correct. Yes, um, it's a thing that I have found, and there's it was this a little bit in Chicago at certain theaters like uh, the Music Box, but uh, retro. What do you call it? Not retrospective film going. Shoot. There's a word for it now. I can't remember, but um, you know, watching older films in the theaters and stuff like that, um, and it'll occur to me in like five minutes. When I'm not talking it might, about it. It anymore. might be retrospective. Okay. Um, there is a certain repertory. Repertory, maybe that, that might be it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, audiences can be a bit off-putting at times. Uh, the thing that gets me is the laughter. The laughter of recognition at something that is not actually funny, but people are laughing because they know it. They know a thing that is not funny and they've chosen, and so they'll be like, ha ha, it's yeah. that, you know, the, the, yeah. that laugh, it's just, yeah. it's letting everybody know, I know this thing. Yes, we all know it. Yeah. That's why we're here. I was, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I saw, and this is the thing, like, well, I mean, Cine Family's in hot water these days, so yes. I don't know how much we want True. to go, in, go into that. I'm not particularly kind of surprised given, I don't know, the kind of attitude of the theater, but, I, you know, it's it's a great, it, it in terms of what they show, it's adventurous and it's fantastic in terms of the programming most yeah. of the time, Cine Family. So I saw a midnight, uh, uh, midnight, uh, movie of uh, the Dead Zone, sure. the, uh, the the Stephen King adaptation. David yeah. Cronenberg, you know, uh, shot it, and uh, early Christopher Walken, early '80s Christopher Walken, yeah. and um, it has that early kind of Cronenberg thing that now would be a little bit campy, but you know. Mm -hmm. And, and some guys were laughing, and I just kind of turned around and said, shut up. You know, you guys aren't going to yeah. do this through the whole movie, right? Because yeah. they just wanted to laugh the whole time. And, and I had to do that. You have to do that every once in a while there, and it's, and it's, and it's super uh, annoying. Because to me, it's, it's, 
if you can't if you can't project yourself into a different place in time and context, of course things are funny, and I get that. You know, right. you watch Reefer Madness now; it's ridiculous. Sure, I get it, but you know. Not everything is is in quotes, and not yeah. everything is ironic, and not everything is hilarious. Yeah. Just because it's outside of it's older or outside of your frame of reference, and if and if you're constantly laughing at that, you know that's your own bullshit uh, lack of imagination. Yeah, and and it just makes. It, I feel like there's a certain attitude there that I that I don't like, which is this feeling of superior sure. that, that like the present is superior to the sure. past. And in many ways it probably is. But just to look back, like I saw I've seen several I guess I'm wearing my Amity police shirt. I've seen several uh, big screen showings of Jaws in Los Angeles. And uh, and I went to one and there's you know, it's after uh, the the instructor, the Boy Scout instructor, whatever, has been killed, and the mayor is in the hospital smoking. Oh, well, you certainly wouldn't see that anymore. And so this guy down the aisle from me just said, he's like, smoking in a hospital, that's awesome. And he said it in that tone. <laughs> and, you know, he didn't say anything else, so I was like, okay, it's fine. But I just want to be like, how about you shut up? How about I murder you? Yeah. Because you're not, I'm going to guess, and yes, I know I'm overstating, but like, I'm going to guess you're not adding much to the world. So I'm just going <laughs> to murder you, and everything will be happier. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, but L.A. has this love of cinema that really is in its pores. Sure. So sometimes there's that. Gen I don't mind the, the, the laugh of like, you know, of recognition and, and you know, the affection, the, the affectionate laugh. I don't mind. The, I guess I don't mind it in certain circumstances. But then yes. again, you know, like uh, because we're a city that offers like really, uh, really independent movie house going options. Right. Uh, it also attracts a very kind of it attracts the 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 bad brand of the hipster crowd or, or yeah. just any crowd that wants to be superior anything yeah. that is selective and 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 of a, an elite nature yeah. is going to attract the people who just want to feel high and mighty above everything yeah. Unfortunately, it reminds but, me, of, but there is an affection in LA. I mean, my yes. girlfriend's from New York and she even recognizes that she says like, there's great movie theaters in New York, but you come out here and you really sense this passion, people willing to stand in line, people yeah. willing to, to be there, to go see something interesting. People who clap at the end of a movie theater. Yeah. I'm like, they wouldn't do that in New York. <laughs> no, they would not. <laughs> um, and there have been times when, yeah, there's applause afterwards and I've, I've heard someone and including me, because I'm excited and yeah. about what I just saw. Um, and every once in a while, it's happened maybe like two or three times since I've lived here. Um, I would hear someone be like, well, why is everybody clapping? And I had this thought, it's like, oh, he must be new. Yeah. Um, because I think, especially out here, I think there is an element, especially if it's a, if it's a newer film, um, the applause could be like... Polite. Uh, well, and it could just be... We made this. I know that even oh. there, who, a there might be someone in the theater who was a part of this that, film, that but is, also like this is you've actually identified that is yeah. a very LA thing. You'll hear the cheering section when someone's name yeah. comes up, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like oh, they're here and they brought their friends. <laughs> yeah. The the set like, designer is yeah. is in the house tonight. It's like, oh, third AD, how exciting! Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or or you hear the this is a very LA experience where people start like by applauding the film title or the lead actors, yeah, or you know, you know, you know, a film by and the director's name comes up right. and then people, you know, people have been applauding so much in the early credits. They, they start ironically applauding and laughing at the, yes. the midsection credits with the names <laughs> that they don't know. You know, they don't know who the cinematographer is, but they're applauding for him anyways. Yeah. Or the editors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's uh, 
it is fun seeing movies out here and it's just like and there's just so many and i i know that like stuff like uh uh man i'm like Sorry, there was a big party last night, and though I don't drink, I'm still very tired, and I can't remember things. <laughs> but there's a... It's not Fandor. That's a different thing. I don't know. Anyway, but there's a... There's, like, this company that puts movies out for, like, one night only in theaters or something like that. And uh, and they showed... They did uh, Doctor Strangelove. And it was just, like, at a mainstream theater near me, so I went and saw Doctor Strangelove, and it, I'd never seen it on the big screen before. And because it was in an if you'll pardon me, an actual mainstream theater yeah. it was on a huge screen. Yeah. And I was just thrilled. And of course, there were, the theater was not full at all. And it was full of people that genuinely wanted to see yeah. it. They laughed when, it, when they were supposed to laugh. And it was a, a really wonderful experience. There's and almost nothing better than being in a movie theater with the, with the fans of that film. Yes. The yes. people who were there for the right reasons. Yeah, and and mo I'd say mostly I complain a lot because it's easier to do than be positive. Um, mostly, it's been positive. It's been a positive experience, but uh, and one that I really it, it was there in Chicago a little bit, Gene Siskel Film Center and the Music Box and okay. stuff like that. But out here, nothing compared to out here. We're trying to go to see Chicago, which I've never been. You never been to Chicago I've at all. Never been to Chicago. Oh boy, it's the the, the big great city in in the United States. I haven't been to and. Uh, and the music box and I mean yeah. you know Siskel and Ebert were you know yeah. how I grew up and growing up on a farm yeah. in a household that you know didn't see a lot of movies necessarily well it was kind of off and on and then uh, you know but I, I watched their syndicated show on Sunday, oh, yeah. Sunday mornings every every week and hoped to see those movies one day and graduated actually reading their stuff later on yeah because they were actually very good critics um, but yeah no Chicago has a very significant place in my film heart it is a shame that Gene Siskel passed away when he did now yeah. on a number of levels but not the least of which is that it was 98 the internet as a huge source for film criticism hadn't really happened yet and I feel like if he had passed away in 2002 or 3 I feel like his writing would have been better preserved it's not easy to find it's not easy to find his stuff and ebert by contrast was so adept yes at uh going into the internet age and blogging yeah. and uh his stuff is i i, I he became his, you know roger ebert kind of times 10 when the internet happened because yeah. he was just kind of everywhere always doing something always writing about something yeah. writing reviews writing the great reviews writing yeah. uh, side columns and then blogging all yeah. at the same time and i don't know personally i, I feel like uh, i i still look for the 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 voice that that would meet the kind of ebert void that has not quite filled up in the critical world but at the same point you know there's, you know, it's not like I agreed with the guy so much. I think at a certain right. point I just knew his opinion so well that there was a comfort in, yeah. in hearing what he had to say every week and what yeah. and knowing what I was going to agree and disagree yeah. with him about. And there was something about the way that he wrote reviews that I definitely have. I'm not going to say that I am Roger Ebert like at all, except that there is a conversational quality to his reviews that I always thought like this is. I've, I've read very ornate reviews by other critics and they're very impressive and they're very thought provoking, but there's something about the relatability of how he wrote, but often he was, he was still communicating complex ideas, but in a way that 
was totally understandable that I really appreciated. He was one of the guys who was able to, and this is something you realize in, when you go into the film academic world. Sure. Um, he was one of those guys who was really able to, to be, you know, uh, uh, user-friendly to, to whoever was going to be reading it. Yeah. And at the same point, you know, it wasn't plot synopsis. You know, yeah. he did textual analysis. He did visual analysis in his, yeah. in his film reviews, which even still today most film critics don't do. Yeah. He did con contextual analysis in terms of the history behind certain things. He would do a lot of auteur analysis. He would, do, he would just tackle it from any new some film theory or would express certain amounts of film theory. Mm -hmm. He would just, you know, could tackle it from a lot of angles and still at the same point feel like a mainstream review. Yeah. And I, I, I still today haven't seen a lot of people who are able to kind of capture that. There is, and but what's frustrating is there are, because there's such a mainstream and uh, sensibility to his reviews, there are some critics and some people, some just film fans that I know that kind of, it's not so much they look down upon him, but they felt that he was sort of, I don't know, that he was sort of purely introductory and then you move on to like the real critics and it's just like I guess you could he definitely is a starting point for people but if but if you return to his reviews you also realize like oh no there's way more going on in his reviews than I initially realized I, I would agree with that I would agree with both those things sure. I, I, I there are places I would go for deeper analysis of certain films certain right. deep dive analysis that the he was operating in a very particular medium, which mm -hmm. is, you know, weekly film criticism. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, but within the mold of what he, he's, I think he is a good, like, gateway drug into deeper analysis. Yeah. If you want to do deeper dives into theory or textual analysis or the history of cinema or however you want to approach it. Yeah. He could kind of give you doses of that and, and point you to... You know, maybe, you know, reader stuff that's going to be deeper. Also stuff that usually is a lot more, you know, a lot less fun to read. And I think, yeah. and I think that's the thing that I also miss. He, he just was so good with turns of phrase. There are, there are passages yeah. in his reviews that I'll bring up for, for in film classes because yeah. he could just encapsulate things with a great turn of phrase and, yeah. and writers always appreciate that. I think he's, I don't think he's certainly not the first one to, express this sentiment, but uh, the idea of a film isn't what it's about, it's how it's about it. I think I first heard that from him. I think I heard, first heard it from him too, which um, I still agree with. Yeah, and it's, and you know, in the in the circles that I run in where, <clears throat> you know, which is Christian, conservative Christian circles, um, a movie's absolutely what it's about. And so to make the argument that, well, it is that, yes, of course, there's what is trying to be communicated, but how it's doing that can actually uh, be part of the communication, maybe the primary part of the communication. And, uh, and him, his ability to sum it up so well um, without, to me, really losing the complexity of the idea is something that I really appreciated. And this is something we've kind of talked about before, but I, but I uh, uh, completely understand from a flip side. I mean, I came from a Christian conservative background, yeah. so I understand that world very, oh, yeah. very, very well in terms of objections to the what and uh, ignorance yeah. to the, to even thinking about the how yeah. it's there, it's present. 
there is this cursing, there is this violence. Usually, it's there is this sex and nudity. Sure. That's the big one that they focus on. Um, but the other place, f- from the other side of things that I that you know, the other cultures and communities I've lived in, and including the the vast liberal intelligentsia of, sure. the, of the academic world, <laughs> you know, there's this stereotype that it's all uh, uh, Marxist. Uh, atheism out there in the in the in the academic world, and that's only a, a you know a slight over exaggeration. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you know my politics are very progressive and liberal, but I'll, I'll be around people who are uh, of that ilk, and and they're the only other people I've heard object to films on the same grounds. Hmm. What's in the film, not how the film is about it. Yeah. And uh, they're objecting to different things than the Christians are objecting, but it's the same basic argument, which is, you know, I had endless debates with people about stuff like when The Wolf of Wall Street came out because Mm -hmm. it's a film so rampant with misogyny and so rampant with... uh, bad boy behavior, which I, you know, am pretty sick of in films as well. Sure. Whereas I interpreted the film, and I still do, as as such a dark stab at the heart of that whole culture. And I think it's yeah. it's obvious that the film is not saying this is a good thing. Anyhow, I mean, I, I get the, the complicated issues behind it and issues of representation and how people sure. are represented on screen, particularly how women are sexualized on screen. Yeah. Uh, and there's a little bit of that film that has its cake and eats it too, but a little bit. Yes. But I, yeah, I, I think, I, I think that is a very surface level argument. Yeah. And, and one that needs to, you know, it, it's, it's yeah. Anyhow. And it's, you know, it's interesting the, the idea of the surface level argument because I, and, and to, to compare these two worlds, cause that's something that I, that I find interesting is that these two groups that would probably want nothing to do with one another At all. and would absolutely condemn the other person's attitude. Yeah. Because that you know, if you if you move far enough away, you kind of start coming back around. Um, and I do think that there's there is an element um, of both where maybe because of how art is approached, you know, in in my circles, and what frustrates me tremendously um, is the idea. It's like, well, art is a is a thing we're paying for, and thus it should be what we want it to be. That's the f- like they they're taking a free market attitude towards art, which bothers me tremendously. Um, and so, and it's and it they probably won't even use the word art. They'll use the word entertainment. And so because it's this thing that I'm paying for and it's just entertainment, why on earth would it have all this stuff in it, all this gross stuff? And on the other hand, I know a lot of people for whom art is first and foremost political and like an, uh, a thing to use Definitely. in order to get these ideas across. It's like, it can be that, of course. Definitely. And it can be entertainment, but to think of it only as those things, and if it deviates from them, that's it, it is now in error, is something that bothers me a lot. Well, and everything's political. Even yeah. the statement, I'm not political, oh, sure. is a political yeah. statement. No comment is a comment. Exactly. But every you know everything in terms of the film industry i mean even that label industry it is inter- it isn't it is commerce it is yeah. politics it is con- it is culture it is all of those things you know a reflection of an influencer of uh the there's a dialogue between the cultural producers in hollywood and you know the culture of hollywood itself and of course the culture of of the rest of the society outside of the very self-enclosed hollywood yeah i i think on both ends in terms of uh you know uh religion 
politics, all of it. I remember a, uh, a pastor once, uh, probably a favorite pastor I ever had, a guy named Bob Harper. I don't know if he podcasts, but hey, Bob. Um, <laughs> uh, he once said about faith, he said, you know, a lot of people sign up for this thing because they want to close doors in their lives. Yeah. They want to stop having too many options in front of them. They don't want to open doors. They don't want to, you know, expand in a curious way their understanding of the world, of themselves, of life, of that which they can't perceive. They're t- the world is complicated and they're really tired of thinking about it. So yeah. here's the rule book. Yeah. Here's my religious affiliation. And now I don't have to really think about it too much. This is yeah. now how I, you know, what, what do I believe about this issue? Well, I believe this particular, you know, the, the book says this. Of course, even that is a contextual thing. American Christianity being very different than other yes. Christianities around the country, around the world. Um, but Paul, I think we mostly nailed it. Yeah, but politics. I think is, we got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Done. Put the period in there. American Christianity. God was just waiting for that one <laughs> to come along. Some would believe that. No some question. religious sects would believe that. But um, yeah, uh, but politics is the same way. I think a lot. I think a lot of people. You know, uh, I know as many people who are default Democrat or default Republican, default conservative or liberal. Some of it's because they were just raised that way. Of course, I'm that way. Sure. And they haven't thought about it. And some people are just that way because it's like I signed my party affiliation. Now I I don't have to think they do the thing. You know, they wouldn't admit that. But, you know, that's kind of what it is. And you see, you know, I've seen so many online things where someone takes like a list of of political positions so like uh here's a bunch of political positions that donald trump has and they take it to a bunch of like hillary supporters but they don't say who says them and and so they in fact they characterize it as hillary said this and this and this and the people are like oh that sounds really good and they're like it was actually donald trump yeah and the look of frustration on their faces and understandable. I'm, I'm sure I'm the same way. I'm sure everybody is that to a certain degree, but yes, it's this idea. And it's something that it, it is something that has bothered me in my, on my political side is that like, well, Trump has an R next to his name and thus we need to vote for him. And never mind that the thing that got me, many things that got me in the primary was that he made a, People were saying he wasn't conservative enough, and he said, "Well, it's not—it's not the conservative party; it's the Republican party." And I remember when I heard that, I thought, "Like, no one has the problem with that." Like, don't get me wrong; conservative is is also a label, but that's a philosophy, whereas Republican is a full-on party and a label. Yeah, and yeah, and and again, I'm sure I fall into it. It's easy; it's easy to say, "Well, I'm I'm all of these things." I I say all this. We're not above, you know, being followers and and not thinking through our belief systems here. Uh, You know, I'm I'm not. We will all stumble across unquestioned ideology that we subscribe to. But from my perspective, having been a part of a deep part of both parties, very deep part of both parties, Mm -hmm. uh, at different times in my life. there seems to me a couple core issues that people convince, uh, feel very strongly about on, on yeah. both sides, and then they convince themselves of the rest. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, there's a couple really core issues, usually social issues, much less sure. the fiscal issues. Truthfully, on the Republican side, from my experience in the people I was raised around, that that they really die hard believe in, and and then 
you know, well, the party also stands for all the other stuff, so I guess that must be true, too. Yeah. And, and the same on the other side. So, it, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I don't have much hope for, for people in politics in this country. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I feel... I don't have much hope for humanity these days. <laughs> yeah, I feel, part of me is like, like, how old are you? You're... Uh, I just turned 36. 36, okay. So, yeah. and I'm 35, and there's... And part of me is just like, ah, 35. I know I'm not, I know I'm not officially young, but 35 sure does feel young for how cynical I am at mm. the moment about the world around me. Mm. But I guess, uh, full on optimism is in short supply at this point. Probably. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, but so we've, we've talked a lot about politics and we've talked about religion and that sort of thing. And so one of the things that, that really struck me, um, as you and I had more in-depth conversations on campus about your area of, would you say area of expertise or area of research? What would you say? Would you say you're, I feel like expertise might be stretching, not as far as what I say, but do you consider yourself an expert I on anything? Like, well, I, mm, uh, uh, no, I, okay. I, 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 I think, I think area of research is, is, is better because, okay. because I don't, Expert kind of signifies you know everything right. about this subject, and the more right. you go into graduate school, the more you realize what you don't know. Boy, you, you you know a lot more than you did, but it opens you up to a whole world yeah. of like, and I'll never know it all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, area of research, sure. Okay. Um, and so, or I guess, yeah, area of study, area of research, area but, of uh, interest, sure. Sure. So, uh, so what? Uh, so you're a PhD. You are. Oh yeah. Quite literally, you are Doc Samson, <laughs> sure. as they say, um, which is a character in uh, in, uh, in uh, the Incredible Hulk, played by Ty Burrell, I believe, in uh, in the 2008 Lou Terrier film. Oh my god! Right. Like because they were setting up the leader. They were setting up like all these Hulk characters, you know, including Doc Samson. The introduction of Doc Samson. Yeah. In that film. It's been. A Granted, it's been a while since I've seen yeah, it's been nine years. that particular I Marvel the joint. But um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and so you've got. Uh, do you do you? Uh, I'm always curious. Do you go by Doctor Samson? Oh God, no. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> so pretentious. Um, no, I, I just say you know for students it's Professor Samson. These are undergraduate students, right? Right. Uh, uh, and for your friends, for your friends, it's, it's hedge. Oh shoot. That's, yeah. that was before. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. We talk, we're a couple of windbags. Yeah. So we talked for like a full hour and a half before we start recording. Exactly and I forget right. what we talked We can about. talk about that, but we haven't sure. set it up properly. Sure. Um, but yeah, the, uh, uh, Professor Sampson to the undergrads, been to the sure. to everyone else. Uh, it, it, you know, when you're teaching graduate students, we're all just academics at a certain level. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I have a I have a PhD in cinema and media studies from UCLA. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, uh, I started actually with a, a history degree from Cal State Northridge, hmm. um, and I thought I was going to be a high school teacher. Uh, got did that for about uh, two years, but within. I'd say six weeks. I, I knew that like I was not wanting to be a high school teacher. Interesting. Uh, not anything against all the amazing high school teachers out there. I it touched all my. But I, I hate being a disciplinarian. I just hate it. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine spending. I couldn't imagine worse fate than spending the rest of my life telling young people not to talk. Yeah. And to stay in their seats. So um, yeah. So and then I went into filmmaking for a while, mm -hmm. and then uh, mostly uh, documentary work, promo work for NGOs, a lot of overseas stuff, and then uh, got somehow got into the MA program at UCLA. And uh, because I realized I did love teaching, I, I just 
didn't want to teach high school students. Yeah. And if I could wake up in the morning and teach film to college students, I mean, yeah. why would someone pay you for that? So well, and then and it's interesting the class that that I was in that you taught. You said just now that you don't want to tell students not to talk and then this, the class that you were teaching every we were all talking which is like so, it was discussion but that's know? so much fun absolutely like that's what you hope a lot of classes are actually going to be you realize yeah. in graduate school it's not actually a lot of yeah i thought it was going to be smart people in rooms talking about smart shit and yeah and a lot of graduate schools not that at all but that class was a lot of fun actually yeah on, i liked on, it on and yeah. most of my Classes have been that, oh, good. Uh, good which is you. which has been great, and 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 I TA'd uh, a couple times for film history, and um, and I kind of if if I had I, I'm glad that I had had your class and a couple other classes before that because that's when I realized that helped me to realize that oh I don't have to just be talking all the time I can be engaging and getting their opinions on the movies that we watched or what mm. we're taught uh, what we're learning and that kind of thing and so i was very happy about that yeah it's different and i've taught both types of classes i've taught graduate level seminars where you're you know it's conversation based yeah you know uh everyone did the readings now we show up and i'm guiding discussion yeah and I, there's definitely things i want to point out but yeah. it should be you know generated out of the discussion and that's more of a how do we get to where i want to go and at the same time you know, everyone is, is talking about, you know, and, and allowing for, for the conversation to go where you don't expect it. That's a lot of fun. And then I've done yeah. the lecture style courses, you know, I've taught the, the undergrad 300, you know, room, uh, 300 yeah. student courses where you're just lecturing basically, yeah. or minimal discussion in, in that type of setting. And they're both fun, but they're both very, very different. Um, and this is something that that fascinates me. Uh, so you did okay. So last year you did the Hitchcock. Last summer you did the Hitchcock class, and you did it again this summer, correct? I did, yeah. Um, and so you've done it twice, yeah. And so I'm not asking which class was better. Obviously, it's mine. But, well, of course, um, of course, it was your styling. But mostly because you were there, obviously. That would be my <laughs> assumption. I mean, I was and just nominated for another podcast award. But uh, the point but, is, but why? Even, you know, obviously, 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 without saying. Thank you. I appreciate that. But anyway, uh, you know, how much did you change your like what was watched, what articles were read, oh, that kind of thing? Um, well, I'll get into the nitty gritties of, of kind of insider baseball here, but uh, I, I think I adjusted it slightly because um, uh, it was a cl it's a class that's both on Hitchcock and film theory. Right. Uh, the fun thing about the class is that um, you can kind of go through the history and development of film theory really from the 60s on. Mm -hmm. uh, and only be talking about Hitchcock yeah. because every movement and for those out there who haven't studied film theory and, and you really may not need to ever, right. but it, it might reward you. Some people like it. Um, uh, every movement from kind of auteurism to uh, psychoanalysis in the seventies to kind of feminist critique, which kind of came about with Laura Mulvey and uh, others in the seventies as well, and kind of cultural studies and historical turns that happened in the eighties, and we're still in the midst of more of a cultural studies kind of movement with it. You, every every movement of cinema has had to reconcile with Hitchcock, yeah. so yeah. that's that's the you know every every single one have 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 returned to him as this place that you have to kind of deal with and uh, for good and ill. Um, 
I think I, I downgraded the amount of reading, truthfully. Sorry, you probably are, are sitting there wistfully <laughs> <laughs> wishing that had been the case for you. You know what, though? It's... it. It, it turned that class was exactly what I needed it to be, which was it gave okay. me a good idea of what grad school was going to be. And thank God I was only in one class at the yeah. time. Well, it's a class that has both production students because UCLA is 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 a big department, is a yeah. big school of of theater, film, and television, and then many sub departments: Department mm -hmm. of Cinema Media Studies, which is me. That's the more academic egghead track, yeah. and then there's the uh, the nerd track, and then there's the the. Uh, the production side and right. everything else. But there were some, some actual, you know, cinema studies people in your class. Right. So I didn't feel the need to downgrade it too much. This summer there were more people. Interesting. And it was all screenwriters and directors. And it's just a strong resistance to heavy critical analysis. Now, I still put in the big readings. I just reduced it slightly and See, simplified it out. And I also changed out some of the later. In the last week, we switched from Hitchcock films to films influenced by Hitchcock. Right, and right. I switched out some of those movies. Okay. Which, yeah. ones, uh, which ones did you show this time? Uh, the year you were there, I did uh, Blow Up. Blow Ant Up? Antonioni's yeah. Blow Up. Um Brian De Palma's Body Double, right? Um, Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho, right? And uh, Bad Education and Bad Education yes. by Almodovar. So this year we kept Body Double and mm -hmm. by De Palma and uh, Gus Van Sant's Psycho remake because I just you have to do De Palma and I think a direct, a direct remake of of Psycho you have to do because I, I think it's a lot more interesting when you when you actually study Van Sant's. It was than, very instructive than, yes. than watching it because it's it's such a, a difficult comparison to make yeah. but uh we also but i ch changed them out and did uh park chan wook's stoker which is mm -hmm. basically just a remake of uh shadow of a doubt in mm -hmm. a lot of ways and then um fincher i did uh gone girl yeah which is interesting in terms of the comparison uh yes that's true and i remember being really because i i actually am very limited in my uh what i've seen of uh, almodovar um i've seen talk to her I've seen Bad Education, and I think I've seen another one, but I don't remember. I think I, I think I top out at three on that one, which is unfortunate because I've heard he's, of course, amazing. Yeah. Um, and but Bad Education, it's so interesting how, because if I were to watch that movie on my own, I don't know. Aside from the opening, uh, like opening credits and all that, I don't know if Hitchcock would have been on my mind. But by simply saying, "Hey, we're watching this to show Hitchcockian influence." Then, of course, I see it everywhere, it's everywhere. Uh, in yeah. that film. And that's something that I find interesting. And and I was going to ask, so... It was the same this year. I mean, I had students sure. coming back and saying, most of them had seen Gone Girl. Right. But And I had seen Gone Girl. but I And I know Fincher is a Hitchcock-influenced director. Yeah. But after doing a class of Hitchcock and yeah. thinking for six weeks about Hitchcock and coming back, you watch Gone Girl and it's like, oh my gosh, it's, you know... It's the wrong man, you know. The first yeah. half is the wrong man, and it's also kind of got vertigo in there. Yeah. It's got all these different, you know. It's it's all these different things tangled up yeah. together. Yeah, it's uh, Gone Girl is a difficult movie. It's great. It is, but like I remember, I saw it with my with my friend on a Friday, and I think I came away saying like that was a great movie. But you know what? I think it's going to ruin my weekend uh, because just it's. I'm I'm very sensitive these days to movies uh, about marriage okay. as like a yeah. as a 
possible toxic poisonous destructive thing <laughs> and uh, you know it's of course it's still a, a marvelous film uh, uh, as, as someone who's divorced I, I, I think I've seen very f- few movies that were uh, I don't usually you know necessarily go to movies for like intellectual truth sure, uh, sure. I think movies are uh, sometimes you do but um uh, I've seen very few movies about marriage that actually I think helped explain certain aspects of of yeah. why you know the marriage didn't work, <laughs> you know that type of thing. Yeah. We were married a long time, like nine years. So yeah, uh, yeah. In terms of trying to be someone that you want to be, right, and is also the person you know that your spouse wants you to be, yeah, uh, and that you. You know, like, oh, and I kind of want to be that person. Right. But you're not. You're not that person. And that's, and there's such, and marriage, like when you've been married for a while and it's day to day, it can be really mundane and it's not very dramatic. So it's like, okay, well, what, how can we make marriage dramatic? Oh, I know. Let's make it super dysfunctional. Um, But like. And even if even if a marriage is dif- is dysfunctional, it's probably at a pretty low level, like well, I maybe mean, even imperceptibly. Yeah. But I mean, that's cinema, right? I mean, yeah. like everything is exactly. like let's find the most dramatic way to interpret. I mean, mainstream right. cinema, at least popular cinema, yes. like let's yes. let's if we're talking about uh, you know political corruption, it has to be like a huge yeah. conspiracy theory type, yeah. type of course <laughs> yeah. type of thing, you know, anything you know, as opposed to the the mundaneness of evil and, yeah. and apathy in this world. Oh, this guy kicked me fifty bucks, so I gave him a permit on this thing exactly it's like no, it's not it's not that exciting no one, wa- no one wants to see a movie on low-level dealings at the dmv <laughs> oh i do you I make do a good comedy it. actually sure. why someone has not made it that's true the best comedy ever about the dmv i don't know maybe they but. start to write it and then just get bored themselves yeah. um but uh so okay, so I have uh, a couple questions because I'm I'm fascinated. Number one, when I saw Gone Girl, and I, I was listening to some other podcasts, not film podcasts, I should note, but people that do like movies, and I heard a lot of people say that they thought the film was misogynist, mm. and I think my fir- my very first instinct was that it was, but that went away pretty quick because, and I thought like why would it why would people think of that? And I thought it's like well the the antagonist, not that the protagonist is uh, spotless by any stretch, but the antagonist is a woman. Yeah. And she seems to be capitalizing on the way people see women as victims. And so it's like, I could see people being like, no, no, no. I, I think of women as, as weaker and men as guilty. And if this woman is capitalizing on what I think and what I believe, you know what? This movie is misogynist. Like, yeah. you know, this movie must hate women or something like that. Um, it's like, no, it's it's a wonderful performance and it's a wonderful character and a very Hitchcockian character. Now that I, now that you mention it, yeah. And I think they're both really fucked up. Yeah. In a way that people, you know, she is so you know because she has this plan and she yeah. does this whole you know elaborate. She's almost a James Bond villain. Exactly. I mean, yeah. the, the plan is ridiculous. You know, there are, <laughs> you know, Vertigo is probably my favorite film. Okay. in the world and that's a film you can talk about in terms of problematics yeah. for a long time but uh, I, I think it's a very it's 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 most I think it's Hitchcock's actually most sympathetic portrait of women but um, uh, I'm going with that but the uh, where was I going with that 
Um, oh, the idea of, of she's got this ridiculous plan. They're both oh, really right, right, screwed right, right, up. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, so, you know, Vertigo is one of my favorite films ever, but, you know, there are there are much easier ways to kill your wife than than the, <laughs> the spoiler alert, than, yeah. than the way that uh, Gavin, the, the Gavin character, decides yeah. to kill his wife in that movie. You know, so there are much easier ways to get back at your husband than what she comes up with <laughs> yeah. in Gone Girl. So there's definitely that, but... Um, so she has this master plot, and obviously she's a villainess type of character in the film. No. But I think it's, you know, he's really, one, troubled and misogynistic yeah. himself. Yeah. And um, I think their relation, I think she knows how, what she's capable of doing. His journey in the film is discovering what he's willing to do. Yeah. And so I, I think it's the the scales might not be completely equal, but they're pretty closer yeah. than people recognize. I would say, would you say the film is a bit uh, uh, misanthropic? I, I I think if it's anything, it's 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 a little bit more leaning in in that direction. Um, I also think that you know that a lot of the this is one of those things where I think it's one of those you know what it's about as opposed to sure. how, how it's about sure. it issues. Uh, women are vulnerable in our society and yeah. you know face things I never will, um, and they are horribly treated in terms of their on-screen representation. Yeah, um, what little representation we do give them is is you know is often pretty awful, you know, support systems or victims. Yeah. How many, uh, you know, sometimes amazing movies and TV shows often crap, you know, is predicated on the death of women. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I understand the sensitivity to, I, I deeply understand the sensitivity to, I don't understand it from a woman's perspective, but I, I, I sympathize with that sensitivity at the same point. Not all, you know, the, I don't think the answer to, to limited portrayals of women is only positive portrayals. Right. In the way that, you know, the, the, the construction of in like the eighties and nineties of the magical Negro character, for example, where we don't have many options in terms of black people on the screen and we don't want to be accused of being racist. So this person's going to be so incredible and exceptional and has to represent all of black people. And really the problem is representation. Yeah. You know, when you watch a show like the wire, which is Walt, you know, it's, it's 60, 70% black people in that show because that's actually the demographic of Baltimore. Yeah. And that show, no one is complaining that, uh, that black politician is a bad guy, right? You know, or you know that gangster is black, and how dare they, uh, you know, do a negative portrayal? Because when you have a fuller spectrum of representation, you can actually represent yeah. the full spectrum of humanity: good people, bad people, mostly in between. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I think, and uh, you know, so no, I'm not. I, I think Gone Girl is is more. And as you said, to, to sum up a diatribe, I think it's much more misanthropic and yeah. and nihilist, nihilistic in its view of, of people than it is yeah. just hateful towards women. I think it's it's pretty skeptical towards everybody. And I do think that it's, you know, when thinking about it, I do think it's a film that 
it really explores the idea of female representation because this character, she has been represented a certain way by her parents for a long time. And one of the first things, like when she is liberated from her marriage and liberated from this identity that has been dictated to her, what's the first thing she does? She eats what she wants. Yeah. Like she's not so concerned about yeah. looking a certain way. And I remember thinking that was really powerful. Well, it's, it's a film that's about it's heart gender roles and the roles that we fall into very sure. unthinkingly in many ways, you know, and it even mocks at a certain point, you know, do you want to, you know, we'll never become that as they say early on in the relationship, we'll never become that couple where <laughs> I'm the nagging wife. And, yeah. and he's like, and I'm the guy who treats the wife like the highway patrol to be dodged and, <laughs> yeah. and, and escaped and, uh, outwitted. And, and, and of course they do fall into those <laughs> roles eventually, yeah. but it's, it's also a film that's about uh, appearance versus reality. Yeah. I mean, if and, and the fronts that we present to other people. Yeah. You know, the people that we're close to, even then we're play acting a little bit. He's sure. super close to his sister in that film. And yet play acting to yeah. a certain degree. Certain things he's not letting her know. The ways that we want people to see us. And the film really highlights that overtly with how much the media and, and how much, you know, being in front of cameras yeah. and your persona in front of cameras. One of my favorite scenes is that scene where he has to go on the talk show yeah, and he has to act in a particular way to appear to be genuine. Yeah. He's not actually being genuine. He has to act in a way that, that has all the signs of being genuine. Yeah. And you can, it's an interesting way to watch the film is to track when are people actually being themselves? Yeah. When are people actually saying how they actually feel yeah. un unfiltered and being who they actually are in front of other people. And those scenes in the film are actually incredibly small. It's, it's a fascinating watch on that level. And yeah. And, and Tyler Perry's character I think is really fascinating Wonderful. as well. Um, so and, good. And just very, uh, in many ways, like, very Jackie Childs from Seinfeld, uh, in a lot of, but, but obviously Johnny Cochran in, in a know. certain way, in a yeah. certain way. But I, I was listening to the commentary with Fincher for the first time and, and I thought he, you know, quite correctly nailed, like they cast him, they brought him in for the first day of filming. They weren't exactly sure how that, how he was going to play it. Cause it, that on the page, it could be very Johnny Cochran. Yes. It could be something else. And he said like, Oh, you know, this guy completely intuitively understood what this guy needed. Yeah. A touch of showman, also a touch of open. Like yeah. a guy who gets it. I understand yeah. where you're coming from. He's the guy who who makes you feel like he's on your side and he understands yeah. you better than anybody. It's a great performance. It is. And one that uh, an inspired casting as well. Like I'm sure I'm sure other actors would have done wonders with that part. But it is it really sticks out as just and he really injects some not much needed, but injects a, a, a very specific type of tone. Like once he shows up, it's like, oh, this is a, this is now a full on satire along with these other things. And I think people miss that shift. Like in the yeah. second half of the film, it really becomes satiric. Yeah. It's a funny film. It <laughs> I is. Think people miss that. It's, 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 it's very so, darkly so, funny, but yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I still find it utterly hilarious. I love the little behind the scenes story where like Tyler Perry didn't really know who Fincher was when he, when he huh. signed on for the film, he hadn't really heard of him. His agent made him take the role and he gets on the set. He's telling that to Ben Affleck. They're like, oh, oh, okay. They're about to shoot a scene he, right before the call actually leans into his ear. He's like, just so you know, minimum. 40 takes and action. <laughs> 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 um, 
there was another thing, and and I, I'm fine to at this point have a have an eye towards wrapping up. But um, there was another thing that you said that that struck me as interesting because, um, where you mentioned that in this later uh, Hitchcock class that it had more production people, like a lot of screenwriters yeah. and stuff, and thus and thus let's not minimize, but at least reduce the amount of film theory. Now the only slightly, only slightly. I didn't go too yeah. easy on them. Probably. Okay, well I know, that's that's not the but. Um, <laughs> But it's something that, uh, so the whole reason that I'm, that I'm getting my, my master's is because I was in talks with a few schools to, to, to teach something in the critical study, uh, department. Awesome. Um, yes, it was very exciting. I don't know if those offers are still open, wow. but they said that you did need, that I do need my master's and so right. this is what I'm doing. Um, and, but those, but I knew people that went to those schools and they said, yeah, they said, oh, yeah, the production departments are great, but they have almost nothing in critical studies. Mm -hmm. And so in talking with friends, they're like, oh, yeah, we, like we come out of this knowing how to make a movie, but having no exposure to a lot of amazing filmmakers and theories about what makes for great film. Yeah. And so the thought of that, like, yeah, wow, that's interesting. I, it hadn't occurred to me. And it's more common out here than I thought. Like we talked earlier about how LA being oh, a great film culture, but, but it's there are plenty of people, common, yeah. yeah, people that make movies, but don't actually have that much association with the larger tapestry of film or won't admit to wanting to think too hard about them. Sure. But a lot of filmmakers do. Yeah. And all you have to do is kind of closely analyze their work. And sometimes they'll actually admit to it or cop to it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, even within UCLA, there's a resist. You can sense that that resistance towards the critical studies courses, as we call them, the, the crit studies, the, mm -hmm. the, the more an analysis, which I mean, and, and my field can go lots of different directions. There's it's really everything that encompasses film history, film right. theory, uh, film analysis, um, research. No. Uh, original research uh, study of the industry. You can do economic studies, marketing studies. I mean, you can mm -hmm. do it from a lot of different angles. My actual dissertation is on uh, industry. Actually, yeah. it's on. It's I love critical analysis, but it's much more kind of research ethnographic based in terms of. Um, studying the culture of the industry and specifically studying the intersection of Christian filmmakers and Hollywood filmmakers and how those groups get along on a business level. Yeah. We can talk about that if you want, but the, the, uh, but I sense with a lot of production students, this resistance to, to the yeah. critical studies courses because they just want to be creative. They just want to be yeah. creative. And part of me, you know, and, the lack of intellectual curiosity is the more discouraging thing. Sure. You know, when Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino, both filmmakers I really respect and love a lot, quite a few of their movies, uh, when that's like the extent of how far into film education you want to delve, uh, you know, or maybe stop at, at the 70s in terms of new Hollywood. Yeah. But even that today is kind of like you know, a boutique kind of knowledge. Yeah. The people who don't watch you know, uh, classic international cinema, classic yeah. Hollywood cinema, classic, you know, films before the nineties in general these days, um, is discouraging because they're, I can guarantee you the, the, their favorite filmmakers, the Tarantinos, the Nolans, those are students of cinema. Oh yeah. Those are people who have actually studied the form and have thought about it yeah. and, and still think very hard about how, not just what they're making, but how they're going about making it. Yeah. And yeah. So 
Yeah, it's it's something that uh, it struck me when I first moved here because uh, I got to know a number of actors and that kind of thing. And I said, like, oh, who are your favorite actors? Who would you say are, are like influences? And invariably, and I guess I, I can't really blame somebody, but at the same time, like they mentioned actors that only really came to prominence in the last 15, 20 years. Exactly. And I remember just being like, oh, really? Like, yeah. oh, that's a bummer. Because um, like, I, I have no doubt that the more film a person watches and the more deeply they think about it, the more exposed they are to it, the more impact it will have on their, on their film, well, uh, on a, their creativity. And it's like anything else. The more, it's like if you have only, if you, if you're, if you're interested in, in, in books, but you don't read anything past YA novels. And I like <laughs> a lot of YA novels, by the way, it's not a critique of that. But if, if, if you've never read something heady and complicated, you don't know how to read something right. heady and complicated. Yeah. Uh, mediums teach you how to read themselves to a certain extent. Yeah. And the more films you watch, the more you can watch movies yeah. to a certain extent. And I think the more developed you are as a, as a, as a person interested in the field of cinema. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's discouraging to me. It's, and it's also odd to me that people are so, you know, cause before I got to graduate school when I was in that kind of way wandering years of my twenties, you know, I was reading Ebert's great reviews. Yeah. You know, there's problems with the canonization of cinema and what is a great film sure. and a classic and not. But, you know, because, you know, he listed certain films, I decided to watch most of Kurosawa's work, most of mm -hmm. Ozu's work, most of Fellini's work, you know, these kind of Paragon names. But then they lead you to other people and then they right. lead you to other movements. I was pretty well versed in cinema before I even got into cinema, cinema school just because I thought, well, this is what people who are interested in this, in the medium do, right? They yeah. just learn about it. They think about it. Yeah. I, my, uh, I was writing for my school newspaper, uh, in Denver. I was 16 and, uh, we got a couple of like early screen, not even critic screenings because Denver, there's like two critics, but it was just like a sneak preview of uh, LA confidential. And so I guess I was 15 actually. And so I went with my dad and you know, I was, I was, I was astonished by it. I was like, I didn't know they made movies this good. Right. Now I knew that they made them in the past, but I wasn't super familiar with film noir at the time. And so my dad said, well, you know, if you like LA confidential, I think you'd like Chinatown. So I watched Chinatown and then, well, you know, if you like Chinatown, I think you might like the Maltese Falcon. Exactly. So I, I go back there and then, well, now I'm right now I'm in the thick of it. And it's like, now I don't even really need anybody recommending. Now I, I like I look in a book and it's just like, oh, you should do double indemnity and post knowledge ring twice and all these other things. And like and it's so it to me it was invigorating. You know, it's it's like treasure hunting, I think, you know. Um, where one thing leads to another, leads to another, and then eventually you wind up in this place and it's just a, an absolute treasure trove. And and your resistance to things that you're not exposed to breaks down. The first time you watch a classic, the first time you watch a silent movie, it's, yeah. it's difficult because you don't know kind of what, how. Yeah. And it's it's moving at a different speed. It's moving with a, a slightly variation of classic film language. The yeah. first time you watch a classic movie, you know, you don't quite know how, but you the more you watch, it just becomes another familiar yeah. form. And so, you know, and then the first time you watch uh, anything that's a little bit more challenging than, you know, your standard Hollywood fare, all of which I, I still love standard Hollywood fare. Yeah. But, you know, I love anything that's good. And I think that that yeah. should be 
I, I mean, personally, I think that's what people should should <laughs> should as well. That people should be interested in anything that's good. And yeah. and if it's challenging to you, if you watch something, you're like, I just don't get this. I don't understand the reaction of, and I'm and therefore I'm just I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. As opposed to maybe I don't understand yeah. something about this. Maybe there's something lacking in my comprehension, and maybe I should investigate. Yeah. My sophomore year English class, we read The Catcher in the Rye, and the my instructor at the after we read it and we you know had our discussions about it and all that kind of thing, she had us fill out like this odd questionnaire questionnaire and it had options of like what we needed to check off, and it was like my response to this book is, and one was I really loved it or I really hated it, and then there was an option and it, this like this is clearly this is formative to me. Yeah, the option was. I know there's something going on here. I don't know what it is, but I like it. Yeah. And that the idea that you could like something that you don't totally understand Definitely. was v- very exciting to me at the time. It's the most exciting because it's like I there's something here I don't get it and now I'm going to try to I'm going to try. Yeah. To, to get it and that that's a whole other level of discovery beyond just the text. Whether yeah. it's a film text or a, a book text or or whatever and and if there's anything I try to do in my like basic undergrad classes, I'm teaching several intro to cinema courses this semester. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I start with the idea that, you know, and I say this in the class, like everyone starts from the same place when they walk out of a movie. Like I liked it or I didn't like it. Right. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. You yeah. like and dislike what you like and dislike. That's the starting point. Yeah. That is the starting point of engagement. Yeah. You know, why did you like it? What what didn't you like in, in articulating those things? And then moving beyond that, what what is the film doing beyond whether you even liked it or not? Yeah. What's going on inside of it? Yeah. Like those are the 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 deeper places of being a more educated viewer. Yeah, and to go back to this this idea of, of Ebert and like what versus how, you know, I think we as as viewers are very I think you're right. I think our initial reaction is what was my reaction or what was the movie about? Like those two basic things. But then I think it does need to move on to how, like, or I guess probably why, why did I respond this way? Why did the director do that thing? And then how did he do it in order to achieve that goal? Um, and that's the thing is there are plenty of movies I don't like, uh, because I start asking why. And I think like, Hmm, I think I'm asking more questions than the director did, uh, you know, so, um, so it just like giving a movie a chance does not mean you're going to arrive at a positive no, place. Sometimes the more you think about a movie, the more you're like, no, yeah. no, this really is breaking apart completely. Yeah. Or you just dislike the politics of the film. Sure. You know, sure. I, I, you know, sat there, I watched uh, split, for, you know, just last night for the first time. Yeah. And it's a film where I'm like, I'm appreciate because I've always enjoyed uh, M Knight's uh, uh, technical expertise on sure. certain films, and especially when he slows down and gets very precise with with the camera. I'm a bit of a formalist in that way, anyways. I like that type of cinema, but he he's very talented at. It. But I'm watching the film thinking I really like his return to a more formal filmmaking in this. Yes, I really like. The opening's really strong. I really like the how he's constructing his scenes, what he's doing with his camera, how he's thinking about POV. Yeah. Whose perspective are we in? Uh, what are they seeing? What information do they have? What information does the audience have? Yeah. 
all of which are interests of Hitchcock, by the way, going yes. back to that. At, but at the end of the day, as much as I am enjoying this constructive form, there's something that's bothering me about this. And the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I really disagree with what this film is saying. Mm-hmm. I disagree with 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 the the point of view of this movie, mm-hmm. which to me seems to be those who are abused, there's some kind of glorification in it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's those who are, who are, and the film is, is really expresses, you know, uh, some very realistic portrayals of sexual and physical abuse in, in that movie. Uh, and, and it's not just the point of view of, it's not like, you know, it's the point of view of the main, of the, of the, uh, the Kevin character that this, you know, what right. makes you abuse, what hurts you makes you stronger. Yeah. It did make him stronger. Spoiler right. alert. If yeah. you've seen the film, uh, it's the point of view of the filmmaker. And I think that's a really awful point of view to express towards people who have been abused. <laughs> so yeah. there, I, you know, but there's a film where I'm struggling with it on several levels yeah. and that's just a mainstream film, but, but it's, it's a film that, I'm appreciating on certain things. I'm critiquing on other levels. And to me, that's much more interesting than eh, just shrugging it off and let's go get some coffee. Yeah. It, eh or meh. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and I've had that response sometimes, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, in your case, cause you're an academic in my case, cause I'm doing the criticism thing and yeah. I guess I'm in the middle of academia as well. But, um, this the idea is like yeah. Manola Dargis went through our program too, you know. <laughs> yeah, all right, that's, that's pretty good, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. Where's the fun in stopping there? To me, it's it's. Yeah. We, we had a conversation on, on about this years ago. The idea of when people say like, "Oh, I think you're overthinking it," and it's like, first off, I don't think there's such a thing as overthinking it, especially when it comes to art. Um, you can make, I think you can overthink somebody's compliment to you or, or a comment they say. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but when it comes to can, art, yeah, no, I don't think so. I think you can think wrongly and interpret sure. incorrectly. And I sure. think you can go down rabbit holes that are, you know, just wrong and very intricate. And, and as you said earlier, you've thought more about this than the filmmaker actually did. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I this is what we're loving here. And, yeah. and this is what's, you know, th- this whole medium is this thing that, that love and, and pours into us. And I think it, it, uh, uh, returns to that idea that we were talking about earlier about, you know, doors opening and closing. I think some people want to mm-hmm. watch entertainment or watch movies because yeah. they don't, they want to switch off engagement. Yeah. They want, they don't want to open up new doors of thought and, and perception yeah. and, and interest into their world. And they're a little bit put off and threatened when people kind of want to talk about it in, in, yeah. in that way. Uh, whereas, you know, art is this thing that actually should be opening doors in your life. Hopefully uh, it is. Um, and I think we'll probably go ahead and leave it there. I will say in just a flagrant, uh, shameless plug, I will say that a lot of a lot of what we talked about here, uh, I did talk about uh, with friend of the show, Jason Eakin, over at More Than One Lesson, where we talked about Game of Thrones, um, where uh, there's been a lot of... Uh, it would be fun to talk about that, too, at some point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's not a show I, I watch, um, oh. but... Uh, in the you know in christian circles because the new season just started there's been a lot of talk about like is this appropriate for christians to watch and i i don't watch it for a few reasons 
but I also do not begrudge anybody else for yeah, watching yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. But my friend Jason has watched all of it twice. Yeah. And so he has some very strong opinions about it. And so uh, I'm, I'm proud of the episode. So, uh, but we do talk a lot about this, like the difference between art and entertainment and, yeah. and people mistaking one for the other. So, we'll uh, so there's some stuff. A different rabbit hole. Very much so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you can find that at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, you can always comment on this episode at battleshippretension.com. You can email me, Tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me at Tyler Pretension. Uh, you can follow David at Davy Pretension. And uh, is, uh, is your work available uh, online uh, I mean, anywhere? I mean, I've written uh, some articles that people could look up if they want to on Christian filmmaking in Hollywood, but also, uh, and that would be an easy Google search, but okay. uh, I do visual essays, okay. uh, some of them. Um, I don't have a website. I, I just post stuff to Vimeo and YouTube. So if okay. you Googled uh, Ben Sampson, uh, I did a visual essay on AI, artificial intelligence, okay. the film by Spielberg, uh, F for Fake. I did one called nice. The Time. One of my favorite films. It's great. Um, uh, the Time Passing is mm -hmm. one that I did for In Transition. I'm a... Uh, a consulting editor on the on the the only peer-reviewed video essay journal online so <laughs> anyhow um yeah there's some there's some some work up there yeah. All right. Well, that's yeah. So check it out on uh, YouTube and, and Vimeo and and yeah, and there's so much stuff to, you know, obviously we'll have to have you back because uh, Christian filmmaking is something that you find interesting. Fascinating. Uh, and then I remember something that you that you'd said uh, that, again, we've already essentially ended the show. People have probably turned it off, but that's all right. Um, the uh, something that you had told me that you feel like is often neglected in filmmaking or at least in, in, in discussion of film is the role of class and the depiction of class, Very much so. um, which is something that fascinated me. I hadn't, I, I don't think I had even, it had even occurred to me, which I'm sure is, you know, the case for most people. Um, and so, yeah, so I'd love to have you back on to talk about that. Um, you know, any, any opportunity to talk about something that no one else is talking about is something that I'm, that I'm all for. So yeah. anyway, uh, but yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Ben, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. I really and, appreciate it. And we'll get you next time. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 